Welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast. This is Denise Green, and I am your host, And I am so excited to have you here for this topic that I'm just calling influence. I don't care what your job is or your lack of job is or your role is in the world. Everybody needs to learn how to effectively influence because so much is outside your direct control. So let me just tell you, I looked up the word influence at my friends Merriam-Webster. They feel like my friends anyways, just to see if we were aligned. And they had a few definitions. One was the power to change or affect someone or something. The power to cause changes without directly forcing them to happen. And it is a power, but it is not a certainty. It is potential. Every influence situation is outside your direct control, which can be really, really frustrating because whether you're trying to influence your child, your partner, yourself, your dog, it's no guarantee. And I like to think of it instead of as something that's frustrating, as something that is interesting, like a puzzle. And I'm going to help you today figure out what those puzzle pieces are and how to make the most of this potential superpower. And you have probably had someone in your life who was very difficult to influence. And you're going to learn why that was so. It wasn't just that they were a jerk. um, It was that they were very different from you and you probably didn't come up with the right strategy. And you've probably had people in your life who tried to influence you, and it just didn't work. You did not want to do anything that they wanted you to do. Now, I want you to think of the opposite. You have probably had somebody in your life whom you would do nearly anything they asked. You wanted to follow them, work with them. You liked doing things for them. So I would like you to go back in time right now. Who was one of those people? Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a parent or an aunt or uncle. Maybe it was a coach, maybe a sporting coach. Maybe it was a professional life coach. What was it about them that made you want to follow them, whereas others, not so much? One of the things that this person in your life had was good intentions. They didn't use unscrupulous methods to get you to do something that was not in your best interest. That we might call manipulation. Great influencers always have good intentions. They want to influence you to be a better version of yourself, and you can feel that in them. They have high hopes for you. They believe in you. They care about you. 
And guess what? We all want to be influenced. We want to be a better version of ourselves. We want to be our most fit selves, our most happy selves. We want to make more money. We want to raise great kids. We want to make great decisions, but we don't always know how. And as you now know, our brain often takes us in a direction that leads us in the opposite way that we want to go. So a great influencer steers us back and does it in a way that our brain can appreciate. So I like to think of influence as the intention is you want somebody to actually do something or say something or give you something that is in everybody's best interest. It isn't just about getting somebody to agree with you. That's the first step. Then you want them to take action that will steer them in a better direction. And you want to do it in a way, excuse me, in a way that actually improves your relationship with them. So if you're trying to influence somebody to do something for you that is not in their best interest, or if you use techniques that don't satisfy their brain, you will actually damage the relationship and decrease your ability to ever influence that person again. So great influencers know that this is a puzzle, and you can't just simply tell somebody what to do. You can't just give them facts. That might work for some people, but if you recall from past podcasts, humans are not logical beings. We have brains that are tens of thousands years old and are still wired for fear and distrust. And Dan Kahneman proved back in 2002 with Amos Tversky, he proved in their studies that people make decisions emotionally and then they back it up with logic. And he won the Nobel Prize in economics for this. People make terrible financial decisions unless they are influenced to do something better. So we have to respect that humans make decisions based on emotion. If you don't respect this, you will have a very hard time influencing people. And remember, one of the emotions that people feel constantly is fear and distrust. And that is because our brains are wired with negativity bias. We're always looking for the scam. We're always looking for the malintention and what could go wrong. And it's because our brain is wired to seek out threats and scan for them every fifth of a freaking second. So we want to avoid pain. And often you're trying, when you influence somebody, you are suggesting an action that might cause them pain. For example, saving money, putting more money in a 401k account. They're going to feel the pain of that because it's reduced cash flow to them. So you're going to have to help them feel the pleasure of what could happen or the pain of what will happen if they don't do it. So we have to build trust with people quickly in order to influence them, to calm down the brain that is looking for the scam. And in my business as a coach, I have to build trust very quickly. If I don't build trust with somebody in the first meeting, they are going to have their guard up. They are going to be looking for the reason why what I'm saying is not true. 
or will not be in their best benefit. Uh, best benefit. So how do you trust? How do you build trust quickly? One of the best ways to build trust quickly is to trust them first. People can tell when you don't trust them, and then they're going to be more on guard. You can also be genuinely curious about them. Put all your attention on them and be interested. And then when you're listening to them, listen for similarities because the brain notices dissimilarity. It's our tribal brain that was looking for the enemy constantly and had to pick up subtle cues. So the more you can find similarity, and I don't care what it is, it could be that you like to vacation in the same place, you, help, you both have kids, you both like dogs, you grew up in similar areas, um, you like the same flavor ice cream, just find similarities. And then be vulnerable. Admit mistakes. Admit you don't have all the answers. Anyone can build trust with you. I recently, well, I guess it was about a year ago, had the experience of buying a new car actually a new used car. And usually I like to go consumer to consumer through online sites because I don't trust uh, big dealerships. But this time I found the car of my dreams and it was at a big dealership. And I have to tell you, it was actually a really pleasant experience because my salesperson and I developed trust quickly. There was complete transparency and vulnerability he showed me the numbers. I was honest about my numbers. And we actually talked about personal things, about our homes, about our kids, about our uh, loss of money on the sale of our homes, which is an embarrassing thing to admit, but um, we did. And it was actually quite lovely. And I got the car I wanted. I felt really good about the price. So anybody can be somebody that can earn your trust. So one of the things that people always get wrong, well, I won't say always, but usually get wrong, is that they think influence is all about being self-aware. And self-awareness does matter. You need to know, what is my goal in this influence situation? In my salesperson's goal, um, position, of course, his goal was to sell a car. But his goal was also to have me drive off the lot feeling really good about that experience. So self-awareness is important. You need to know what your tendencies are from an influence perspective. But way more important is other awareness. And this takes a shift in your brain, in your intentions, in your curiosity. A lot of people live by the golden rule, which is a beautiful thing. The golden rules, of course, do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. The only time this works in influence situations is if the other person is really similar to you. And we like hanging out with people who are similar to us because they are easy to influence. It takes very little effort on our part. But unfortunately, most people in the world are not like you. There is a lot of variation out there in terms of what makes people tick and what influences them. So I like to live by the platinum rule. And if you're going to be a good influencer, you need to live by the platinum rule. And the platinum rule is simply do unto others as they want to be done unto. That person you conjured up in your mind when we first started talking, 
respected your preferences. They adapted their style to what mattered to you. When I think of my favorite bosses in the world, the people that I would jump at the chance to follow if I was somebody who could handle a desk job, when I think about them, they rewarded me, enticed me with things that were really valuable to me, but not necessarily valuable to everyone else. For example, if my boss wanted me to do a bit of work that was not exciting for me, I mean, I don't, there's so many things that are not exciting for me from a work standpoint, like um, running things after they've been built, you know, just monitoring process, detail orientation, that kind of stuff. Not only is it boring to me, um, it saps my soul. I need to create. I need to grow. I need to learn. I need to invent. I need to make things better than they already are. I need to work with people, not data. And I need to see results from my work. And then I need to move on to something else. I need to create something else, something new. I need to make a big impact in people's lives. When I was working, I didn't really care about getting a promotion. It wasn't that I didn't want one. Of course, I wanted to make more money. Um, but I didn't care about my title. The only thing that I cared about my title was that sometimes a title makes it easier for you to influence. And I was all about creating change in the world. So if my boss had said to me, Denise, if you take on this work that I know you hate, um, it's likely that you'll be nominated for a promotion. If she would have said that, I would have said, no, thank you. Uh, and who do you think I am? But my greatest bosses respected the fact that I valued growth, valued learning, I valued creating, and I valued autonomy. I needed to be let alone. Let me figure it out. I will definitely come to you when I need help. I will definitely keep you in the loop, but please don't micromanage me. I also needed relationship. I needed to be able to laugh with you. I needed to be able to be vulnerable with you, to be real with you. I did not want to put on a facade. So if my bosses just gave me those two things, self-agency and relationship, I would do anything for them. So how can you tell what influences other people? How can you tell their platinum rule? Well, there are a lot of ways. One, you can just observe them. You can watch them in meetings. You can listen to them. You can see what frustrates them, what excites them, what makes them happy, and what works for them. What, what do they complain about? All right, this, They're giving you clues about what they care about, their platinum rule. You can also just ask them. You can say what matters most to you about the work that you do. What's a project that you worked on that you just loved? Or what's a project that you worked on that you hated? Who was a boss that you loved and what did they do? People love talking about this stuff. For one thing, it takes them back to a really fun place in their memory. And people love talking about themselves. And they really love when you respect what they say about themselves. This is not manipulation. We all want to be influenced in the way that fits us most. 
you know, if you ask somebody, how do you like to be communicated with? And they tell you, um, please don't ever leave me a voicemail. Just send me an email with a few bullets so I don't even have to scroll. If you ask them that, and then you disregard it, and you leave them voicemails, and you write them lengthy emails with lengthy attachments, then you have disregarded their wishes, and you have, in their mind, disrespected them. It is worse than if you had never asked them what they cared about in the first place. So be prepared to adapt. Great influencers don't have a big ego. They'll say, okay, that's not how I like to be communicated with, but I can do that. It might be a little frustrating for you, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. It takes effort, and your brain's not necessarily going to like doing things in a way that is different for you, but it will pay off, and your brain will be so happy when you build this great relationship with this person, and it becomes very easy to work with them. I know I've had bosses who really preferred to micromanage, and it was hard for them to let me go, but they tried it, and they saw what would happen, and they saw that I would do great work, and they could trust me. And then we built this great relationship, and we had great results, and it was worth it. So there are a few ways that you can adapt how you influence. Influence is all about the energy that we use with the person. I gave you some examples of specific things that we can do. When it comes to energy, there are really two ways of thinking about this, and um, I learned this from Alan Vengel, who wrote a little book called The Influence Edge, great book, and he talked about how there's push and pull energy. Now, some people in the world like push energy. These are the drivers in the world, and they just want you to tell them what you need. I need you to do blank. I'd like you to do blank, and they're on it. That works for some people. Others of us uh, who are, might have a little driver in us, but we also have a lot of analytical in us. Yes, I'm saying us because I, um, if you tell me what to do, I probably would not do it. I probably would be annoyed. Even if you're telling me to do something that's in my best interest. So for me, something more subtle works. And I know this sounds silly, but if you say to me, hey, what do you think about blank? That's going to work way better than you should really do blank. If you tell me I should do something, I am going to do the opposite. It's not very mature, I know, but this is what my brain does. And there are a lot of analytical people out there who don't like to be pushed around. I don't know if it's that we think it needs to be our idea, but we are stubborn. So give us time to think about it, right? Introverts need time to think about it. So you might say, you know, I think we should probably do blank, but what do you think? And then give us time to think about it, right? Uh, other poll energy is just asking open-ended questions. What do you think about blank? What would you do in this scenario? Wow, now my brain is really thinking, and I'm working on uh, different answers that could be potentially good. So... Asking a great open-ended question is so powerful. Be careful not to ask leading questions. People can tell. That is push energy, right? Um, did you think about this? Well, maybe we should do it this way. We can tell when you're trying to lead us to an answer. So if you don't feel genuine curiosity, this would be a great time to act like you feel genuine curiosity. 
because the words and your tone will affect how a person thinks and how much they trust you. So with a directive person, you can just say what you need. With an analytical person, you suggest what you need. Analytical people also don't mind if you give them consequences. Consequences are not threats. They are facts about things that are likely to happen if you do or don't do a certain thing. An analytical person will appreciate having you just lay it out. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I don't want to step into that big hole and I don't want to make that person upset. And I hadn't thought about that. But some people, more amiable people, who want to be pleased and want to please others and always think about the consequences of people um, may not appreciate you giving consequences. They may think it sounds like threats. Some people also like to hear your reasons for why you think something is a good thing to do. You're probably going to have many, many reasons why you think they should do something but you want to give the reason that they care about. It might not be your top reason. You never want to give more than three because after three reasons, we stop listening to you. So if you only have one really good reason that fits what they care about, then use that one. Maybe they care about the impact on people. Maybe they care about the impact on the bottom line. Maybe they care about their reputation. Pick the one that matters most to them. And if you don't know, you could ask somebody else, or you can guess. Everybody cares about being seen as someone who has capacity to do a good job. So everybody cares a little bit about their reputation. Nobody wants to be seen as wrong or making mistakes. So these are some things that you can guess about. So there is another book that I want to allude to called Influence Without Authority by Cohen and Bradford. And they call these areas of interest, these areas of importance to us, currencies. And they use the word currency because they think that influence is like an exchange. And if we only operate with our own currency, it's like using the euro when they only take the dollar. The transaction does not work. So you need to find out what the other person's exchange currency is. And they break it down into categories, five categories. One is inspiration. These are the visionary people. If you want to influence a visionary person, you need to paint a picture of what could be. Now, I am not a visionary person. If you do this for me, it's probably not going to work. It, it might fall flat. I mean, I might get excited about your vision, but that's just not what my primary type is. Other people, it's all about task. That's their second category. What are the results? What are the resources? What assistance will I get? What information do I need? Again, this is not mine, but a lot of people operate with the, the most important currency is the details around the task orientation. Other people care about their status, and they call this position currency. They want to be in the know. They want to know how this is going to advance their career. They want increased visibility. They care about their reputation. Now, we all care about some of these things, but it's not necessarily our primary currency. The next currency is relationship. They want to feel accepted, included, supported, encouraged. They want to have genuine affection with people. 
and the other is personal. And I spoke to this earlier um, when I was talking about myself. They want to learn. They want to own something. They want to feel like they are growing and that they are using their strengths. And of course, that's going to enhance their reputation. If you're using your strengths at work, you have autonomy, you have ownership, you have agency, then it's going to affect positively, potentially, your advancement and visibility and reputation. But that to you is secondary. Owning something, the personal currency, is most important to you. So pay attention to what currency others use and ask questions to figure it out and flex your style. If you are going to be stubborn and stick with what works for you, you are not going to be an effective influencer. And if you cannot influence, you cannot change the world. And we are all about influencing. When it comes to my clients, I can't force them to change. I can't force them to become better versions of themselves. I have to find the right tools, the right metaphors. When I first meet with my clients, I ask them, how do you like to learn? And if they say, please don't ever give me a book. I don't have time to read books. I respect that. I will send them articles. I will send them YouTube videos. I will send them things like a podcast, something that doesn't take a lot of their time. And if they say they like books, oh man, I'm all over it. I start sending them links to books. I might tell them what chapter to read or I might just let them go for it because I know they're going to read it anyways. They love it. If they're into sports, I'll find a sports metaphor. This is not manipulation. This is respecting their wishes, respecting their personality, respecting their brain, and doing all I can do to help them be their best version of themselves, which is going to feed me because when my clients succeed, I feel great. And when my clients stagnate, oh, it's so painful to me. So it is worth it to me to figure this out. Whether it's um, influencing people you work with, influencing your children, influencing your dog, it is in your best interest to learn how to become somebody who respects the platinum rule and who is capable and successful at adapting your own style to others. So I can't wait for you to flex this superpower and get really great at making a positive difference in the world. Thank you for being with me, and um, I'll see you on the next podcast. Thanks for listening to Work-Life Brilliance. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at iTunes. <laughs>